For the News and Observer, I'm Brian Murphy, your host for this special episode of Under the Dome. This is the next-to-last episode of our special Closer Look series on the new podcast from Serial and the New York Times about the Bladen County Improvement Association. It's called the Improvement Association. Yes, it's a podcast about a podcast. But the 2018 fraud in the 9th Congressional District election is a story we covered closely, so hopefully we have some insight to add. Thanks for following along. This is episode four. Episode four of the Serial Podcast focuses on what happened with the Bladen County Improvement Association, a group of black Democrats who have been around for about a decade after the 2018 election. The group didn't go away. But Democrat Dan McCready, who ran for the 9th District seat in 2018 and again in the 2019 special election, didn't seek out the association's help in a special election, and it led to all sorts of hard feelings inside the group, which seems to be falling apart in many ways in this episode. Add to that the unsuccessful campaign to elect three black women to the Elizabethtown City Council in 2020, and it's not hard to see the group's power is slipping, in part because critics have portrayed it as corrupt, and in part because of internal dynamics. I'm joined today by Tyler Dukes and Will Doran, both of the News and Observer, who covered parts of the 2018 case at the time. Welcome. Thanks for having us. This this episode feels like it, it breaks some new ground. You know, after 2018, many outlets covered the 2019 special election. Others focused on what happened with McRae Dallas, you know, the, the white GOP operative at the heart of the election fraud case. But this sort of embedded look at what happened in the Improvement Association was new to me. Tyler, what stood out to you? Yeah, I think, you know, those of us who covered uh, 2018 in the aftermath, I mean, you know, we we certainly saw the um, involvement of the Bladen County Improvement Association and the PAC. Uh, and we reached out to those folks quite often, actually, when we were, you know, covering what was happening on the ground. And, and we would talk to them from time to time, but we never really got this sort of inside look that Zoe Chase, the reporter at the core of the serial podcast, is, is getting his inside look inside the organization. Uh, and, and this idea that she is exploring, particularly in this episode, that black voters in Bladen County specifically are not a monolith. And in, this, is a, this is a thing that the, uh, the improvement pack is actually sort of struggling with. I thought that was a really uh, interesting uh, look at what is happening in Bladen County and how, as you said, that, that power, at least from this podcast, appears to be slipping. Yeah, no, that's a great point uh, and one that I came away with. We tend to think of black voters or, or evangelical voters or rural voters or, or you name the category as sort of this monolith. And this episode, I think, does a great job of pointing out that no, they're, they're all individuals with their own point of view about what's happening. Um, Will, how about you? What, what stood out to you in this episode? There, there was one, uh, just, it was really just kind of an aside, but where she talks about, uh, she's got some recording of uh, her meeting with some of the, the Improvement Association members, and one of them makes a joke about how he's going to get lynched because he's seen out in public with a, with a white woman. And obviously that is, you know, a, a longstanding trope for correct reasons. I mean, that is why a lot of, you know, black men were lynched throughout history, but also in Bladen County, there was a story, a teenage boy named Lennon Lacey, who just a couple years before this was found hanging in a trailer park. And a lot of people think he was lynched, but the authorities chalked it up to a suicide. And that had been, you know, it was kind of thing. he was dating a white woman and, you know, then was found dead and it was it really broke down along racial lines. And that was very fresh. I mean, that happened only a few years before, you know, the, this was uh, being recorded. And, uh, you know, just the, the 
the fact that, you know, you just have to, you have to joke about it because that's, you know, the only way that you can process, a, you know, that harsh reality is just, you know, I, that, that really stuck out to me. We haven't talked a lot about Zoe on this email, uh, on this podcast. Uh, if you go back one episode, I talked to Colin uh, Campbell about his interview with Zoe, but you know, she makes a mention that she's often the only white person in these settings that she goes to, to, to do reporting on the Bladen County Improvement Association. And I think in some ways, maybe we haven't given her enough credit um, for what she's been able to get out. That, that is an awful hard thing to do to earn the trust of, of people in a, in a county like this when you're not necessarily from there. And, and it's clear. It's clear from the podcast that Horace Munn and, and Cogdale and, and some of these, a mini, uh, mini price in this episode, really trust, trust Zoe as a reporter. T- Tyler, you went down there you know, how difficult was it to, to kind of get inside the story of what was happening in Bladen County as, as an outsider? Yeah, it is difficult. And it's clear that Zoe Chase has put in the work. I mean, we, we went out there with a few of our reporters. I was at WRL at the time, the TV station here in Raleigh. Uh, and, you know, we knocked on, you know, at least 100 doors across Bladen County, just talking, trying to talk to voters uh, who, you know, sort of requested absentee ballots and, and had not uh, gotten them. And that trust is is really hard to earn because look, I'm I'm a North Carolina native, right? I, I've lived here all my life, um, but you know, regardless of living in another place in North Carolina, coming coming into a county uh, like Bladen County, you are still an outsider. Uh, and you know, especially at that time, a lot of these folks were getting inundated by people coming in, reporters who looked just like me right? A, a white guy from another town coming in and asking questions about what happened. And, and so it, it definitely did take time to, you know, earn people's trust. And, you know, some people just aren't going to trust you. And I think that's what we saw even with the, when we tried to contact the Bladen County Improvement Association, often we were just reaching out to them for specific stories. Zoe Chase has been on the ground for years. I mean, she's, she's been doing the work uh, and so, you know, I think that that takes time and energy and, and um, I, I think she has done it well here. And I think that's why we are getting this depth of storytelling. Tyler, I, I think that's a, a really good point about, you know, even someone coming in from Raleigh to talk to people might seem as foreign as someone coming in from, you know, New York City or Washington, D.C. to talk to people. You know, I mean, you hear the, the PAC Association, you know, telling each other, telling Zoe in this episode you know, oh, you know, we're, we're getting noticed up in Raleigh. And, you know, that's why Dan McCready isn't courting us and, you know, is kind of you know, not asking us for support, not really wanting to associate himself with us. You know, oh, the folks in Raleigh are noticing us. You know, I mean, Bladen County is the kind of place that's, you know, very small, rural, fairly impoverished place. And they're kind of used to flying under the radar and, you know, doing their own thing. And, you know, yeah, someone from, you know, the big city here in Raleigh is you know, just, just as foreign as somebody from, uh, you know, up north, <laughs> coming in and, and asking questions. I would say it's not just uh, you know the Bladen County. It's not just the racial divide. You know, I talked to to Ray Britt and tried to get in with with those pe- with the, the the white Republicans who you know McCray Dallas's folks, and they were equal. It's equally as hard, I think, for the reason that you just pointed out. Will uh, we're from Raleigh. We're from the big city. We're not from Bladen County. And so um, there's, you know, Zoe has to deal with not only the, the racial component, but there's also this, this outsider component um, that, that plays into it, whether you're trying to, trying to get into the association or you're trying to get into sort of McCray Dallas's operation at the time. A lot was made about McCready not reaching out to the association. Um, and, and even somewhat actively distancing himself from, from the group. 
it doesn't appear if you look at the numbers that, that was necessarily a fatal mistake that, that that's what cost him the election I've, I've been going over this a lot with the cal cunningham race uh, in 2020 about whether whether the affair and, and those allegations are were a fatal mistake it's, it's really hard to separate out why why people lost an election but if you look at the numbers you know, uh, Dan Bishop, who's now the representative from the ninth district, won by about four, a little less than four thousand votes in the runoff. Um, Mark Harris won. I'll put that in quotes uh, because he never got certified by by less than nine hundred. So you're talking about a you know somewhere around a, a three thousand vote change. Bladen County just not populated enough to to be the difference in that. Uh, Tyler, I know you're a you're a data guy and you, you've run some numbers on this um, about. Uh, these numbers and what happened in, in neighboring Robinson County, which was also, you know, impacted by what McCray Dallas was doing. Yeah, I mean, we one of the things we did at the time when we were trying to do the postmortem after 2018, and this was as the the election board was gearing up for this hearing. So we know a lot more now than we did then. But I mean, we went through every single one of these absentee ballot envelopes, right? These are the the forms that are basically you you fill out and you get your witness to fill out. Um, and you seal the ballot inside of it. The, the, the envelopes themselves are public record. We went through every single one of those from Robinson County and Bladen County and, and logged who signed on the witness form. And we were able to determine that at least 15% of those ballots from both Robinson and Bladen County, where the Dallas operation was uh, ongoing, were touched by people who uh, witnessed by people who were working with McRae Dallas. And we had reported that at, at the time. But I mean, it just kind of goes to show how widespread this operation is, right? That that you know you can do this get out the vote thing, even if you do it right. If you're not harvesting ballots, right? You're just going out and witnessing people, you know, ballots, which was legal at the time. Um, it it was a it was a large operation uh, proportional to a county, and these are large counties, right? Rural counties where you have to do a lot of driving, uh, and so that really stood out to me at the time when we were trying to you know get our hands around this. Well, when you look at the numbers, and, and in 2020, because of redistricting, uh, Bladen County is no longer in the 9th Congressional District. It, it's actually in David Rouser's district in the 7th, so it was hard to, to get a comparison to 2020. But when you look at the numbers and, and you listen to the podcast, you know it seems like McCready's distancing himself from the organization did more damage to the organization maybe than it did to Dan McCready. Yeah, I think they were you know, certainly looking for him to to stick up for them more than more than he did. I think that's pretty clear. Um, obviously, you know, McCready didn't do himself any, any favors by not really actively courting this group and trying to really, you know, juice up the vote in Bladen County. But I think you also have to give Dan Bishop a lot of credit. I mean, he campaigned really hard in Robson County, especially with the Lumbee tribe, uh, you know, talked a lot about getting them federal recognition, which is something, you know, politicians have been promising and failing to do for decades. And, so far, that has also still failed, even though he is now in Congress. And you even had, you know, President Trump also campaigning on that same thing with the Lumbees successfully. I mean, he he did great in Robson County in 2020, historically Democratic county that just went uh, super red last year. Um, so obviously, this this episode kind of focuses on the ways that you know maybe Dan McCready shot himself in the foot, but you know I think you know give give Dan Bishop some credit as well. You know he campaigned really hard. And like you said, he, he won by an even larger margin than Mark Harris did and did so without the benefit of an operation like McRae Dallas's. If you want, I mean, this, this number is staggering to me. Um, you know, McCready won um, Robinson County 56 to 41 in 2018. 
And in uh, 2019, McCready still won Robinson County, but he won it 50-49. Um, and then if you go to, to 2020, it, it has flipped and it went for it went for Trump in, in a big way. Um, and so you're talking about a 15 point win that McCready had in, in, a, in a county. And within two years, that that has flipped completely. Um, the pretty remarkable what I, we've talked a lot about Bladen County, certainly on, on this um, on this podcast. And we've talked a lot about Robinson County for a lot of reasons. But the the, the political flipping fortunes in Robinson County, I think, is fascinating and, and maybe worth its own its own sort of uh, deeper look, closer look. Tyler, um, you grew up, you mentioned earlier that you've grown, you grew up in North Carolina um, and you grew up in, in Elizabeth city, which is certainly in the news right now. And, and this isn't necessarily the podcast to talk about that, but it's another Eastern North Carolina County, uh, another Eastern North Carolina County that has a, a racial divide in some ways. When, when they were talking about um, what happened in 2020, uh, or I'm sorry. Yeah. In the 2020 election there in, in Elizabeth town, obviously different than Elizabeth city. Um, and they were describing, you know, driving through the town and these four people, these four families own, own all the land sort of on the, on the white side of town and uh, the black side of town can't get any commercial development. I just thought it was a fascinating look at, at some of those counties, you know, we, as we call them east of I-95 in North Carolina and, and kind of the way they operate, the, the way that, that historic uh, things that have happened in history are now playing out in 2020 and 2021. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, this is this is the reality of life in a lot of rural places, right? When you've got a, a town that's you know less than twenty thousand people. I mean, I, I like I said, grew up in Elizabeth City, which you know fluctuated between you know around a population of seventeen to eighteen thousand people. Um, yeah, and if you look at the downtown corridors, I mean, you know, a lot of the streets are named after the families that own the property there, right? So. And, and a lot of those names persist uh, within the town. I mean, they, they're really, you know, it, the, the land ownership is a, is, a, is a big deal in a lot of places. Um, and the, you know, the policies that led to the way that these towns are segregated, which is not unique, I should say, to rural towns. This is something we see in many major cities ac- across the country. This this segregation, you know, sort of the, the white side of town and the black side of town in most places, you know, this isn't accidental. This isn't often even people just choosing where they live, right? These, this is often by design. It's by policy. Uh, and, and you can see that when you go back and look at the history of these places, uh, you know, especially in places like the South, but even in other major cities across the country. Yeah, I, I, my first job was in Macon, Georgia, and I was struck by how divided the town was. Uh, that's educational opportunities, living opportunities, uh, you name it. Um, the, the town was very divided a- along racial lines. Will, uh, we've gone this far without talking about who I think is the star of this episode, and that's Minnie Price, the treasurer of the Bladen County Improvement Association, and and the one person, at least so far, who's been willing to stand up to Horace Munn. I mean, kind of rules this this uh, pack with an iron fist in many ways, and, and many... Uh, Price, who who is described as someone in her seventies, uh, and and you know a person with some definite influence in, among the black community in Bladen County, sort of has stood up to him in, in many ways in this episode. Yeah, it was interesting the the kind of intergroup battle between you know do we stick up for ourselves and do we you know kind of make a statement by staying out of the race and 
you know, sticking it to them greedy campaign, or do we kind of put our egos aside for that and, you know, just elect the elect the Democrat, even if he's not the biggest fan of ours, even if he maybe actively uh, is trying to avoid us, you know, elect him anyways, because, you know, at least we, we like his politics better. That obviously is a huge you know part of this episode. And I think something that plays out in tons of group dynamics, whether it's corporations or political groups, I mean, anyone can identify with that. I think there's also the unavoidable dynamic here of, you know, the, the woman, the one woman who's in kind of a leadership position, kind of pushing back against the group of three or four men who are in slightly higher leadership positions and who she feels are just kind of, you know, make it maybe a little bit of a, a boys club atmosphere. You know, I'm, I'm a legislative reporter. We're actually seeing that in the news right now. You know, we've got, you know, some stories uh, down at the legislature about the, the Speaker of the House kind of ramming through a, a bill that will personally financially benefit him and some other uh, members of the House. And there's a uh, uh, one woman representative who said that I, you know, hey, I think this is, you know, not something we should be doing. She was the chair or a chair of the finance committee and then lost her seat on that as the chair of that committee because she spoke out against it and said, you know, this is something we need to take a look at. And it was the same kind of thing. She kind of pointed to a boys club atmosphere and all that. So, you know, I, I think that this is definitely not something that is, you know, confined only to Blaine County, only one group. I mean, this is, you know, a dynamic that repeats itself. I think Everywhere. there's a bit. I think there's a bit of a through line here too to to the more national politics, and at the risk of sort of flattening the complexity of the the Bladen County Improvement Association PAC, because I think there's a lot more going on here than than just the grappling with how seriously the Democratic Party is taking the concerns of Black voters. But we're, I mean, we're certainly seeing Black voters as a block, ex, you know, sort of exercise their power and in. in uh, you know, very stark ways. I mean, we saw that in Georgia and other places in recent elections. And, you know, there, there, we have certainly heard groups challenge the Democratic Party on whether or not they're listening enough to those black voters and doing enough to not just court their votes, but to enact policies that, that those voting blocks actively want. So I, I think in some ways, um, this is a reflection, even in the small, small county, as rural county of what the conversation we're seeing nationally here. Yeah, this this has the added dynamic of of people like trying to protect their own power too. Um, but I think we saw this, you know, with Jim Clyburn, right? His his uh, endorsement of Joe Biden seemed to to turbo boost Biden's presidential ambitions, and now because of that, he holds a lot of sway on on personnel and policy. Um, but we're seeing it in all different kinds of ways. Will, you were talking about the gender dynamics. I just wrote a story about Erica Smith and and a member of the Democratic Party, not a Republican, a member of the Democratic Party, you know, sort of feeling enabled, I guess, a male member of the Democratic Party, feeling enabled to critique her email that she sent out about slavery and, and the plight of uh, black Americans in this country. Um, we, we saw it in the state legislature. We saw it, and, and we saw maybe the other side of this uh, yesterday in, in the U.S. House when Mark Robinson, uh, North Carolina's first black lieutenant governor, spoke on a voting rights panel and said, hey, you know, blacks in America have overcome many, many things. Don't tell me that we're not able to get a free voter ID to vote. And so I think, and, and Tim Scott, uh, the, the only black Republican in the U.S. Senate, is giving the rebuttal to Joe Biden. I, I think there's a lot of, um, to Tyler's point, there is a lot happening in this space right now about, I think Republicans in some ways are starting to really compete for black voters in a way that maybe they didn't 
uh, before the before the Trump era, and and Trump was able to make some inroads in that community. Um, and we'll see as as Trump sort of exits the the picture if Republicans are able to to capitalize on some of those gains uh, in the black community, largely made on the on the play that, as Tyler said, Democrats are taking our vote for granted in many ways, and that's that's obviously a central issue in in this episode of of the Serial Podcast. Yeah, I mean, not to keep bringing it back to, to Robinson County, but I think that's something that, uh, you know, that Republicans did well there is, you know, say, hey, you know, y'all have been in Democratic County forever, but Democrats are kind of taking you for granted. So why don't you give us a try? The turnaround in that county from, you know, being plus 15 Democrat or whatever to now being narrowly pro-Republican is in two years is just stunning. So, yeah, I think that's going to be definitely a, a huge factor in the 2022 Senate race here the 2024 presidential and governor's race, you know, in 2020, you did see black voters as well as every other racial group of voters, white voters, Asian voters, Hispanic voters, all had record voter turnout here in North Carolina. And I think in large part that was because we had, I should note, only temporary rules in 2020 for mail-in voting that made it easier to request a ballot, easier to vote a ballot, easier to send your ballot back in and, you know, maybe overcome like some some problems like you didn't sign it directly on the right line that you're supposed to sign or something like that you know we we had all these rules to kind of just make voting by mail easier along every step of the way and that led to every single group having record voter turnout you know more voters than ever not just in terms of numbers but percentages all of those rules are going away though for 2022 2024 so I think, especially on the Democratic side, you're going to have a lot of people scrambling to figure out, okay, how do we replicate that? And how do we make sure that we have that kind of turnout again? And for Democrats, that means being able to reach out to black voters and convince them you know, to keep voting on the Democratic Party side, which you know, historically 80 to 90% of black voters vote Democratic. And Representative Deborah Ross, who represents Wake County, she's a Democrat, pointed to Mark Robinson and said, look, uh, just because we have expanded voting, you know, more people p- uh, participating in, in the vote doesn't mean Democrats are going to win, That which seems to be the sort of national perspective. She's like, look at how well Republicans did in North Carolina in 2020 when there was expanded voting. Um, we, need, we need to wrap it up. I, I want to go to Tyler for the last one. The episode, the preview of, of the final episode seems to hint at, at maybe a, a division coming in the Bladen County Improvement Association. I, I'm interested to hear what happens with Minnie Price. Your sense of, of what's happening and, and as we look forward, what is one or two things you're looking forward to in, in, in this podcast and, and as we approach some of these issues sort of statewide? Yeah, I mean, I'm really interested in um, where the Bladen County Improvement Pack is going to land after this rift uh, and, and what their future looks like. I mean, because I think what we saw Joey Chase outline here is the, uh, the construction of Black political machinery in Bladen County. And, you know, we, we take for granted, uh, you know, the, the political machines that have been built uh, over the years in, in other places in, in North Carolina and, you know, nationally and in the state. Um, but, you know, looking at, you know, how this group is going to function going forward and the challenges that it faces, I think, are I, I'm interested to see what their takeaway is going to be looking forward as opposed to relitigating some of these old elections and, and sort of where the group is, is going next. Thank you, Tyler Dukes. And thank you, Will Doran, for joining us. Uh, that'll wrap up our special episode of Under the Dome about the serial podcast on the Bladen County Improvement Association. 
We'll have one more new episode of Under the Dome for the final episode of the Serial Podcast. Plus, we have our Monday uh, Look Ahead podcast on this same feed. Uh, For the News and Observer, I'm Brian Murphy saying see you next time on Under the Dome. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider, and sign up for her weekly political newsletter at newsobserver.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening.